1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: And make no mistake, we all need forgiveness. There's not one of you here. There's never been a person alive other than Jesus Christ who didn't deserve eternal punishment, who didn't need forgiveness. There's no one alive today who doesn't deserve that. No one can look down on somebody else, no one can afford to withhold forgiveness. You do so at your own peril. I can see the promised land Though there's pain
0: within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The anthem for all my life Every giant will fall The mountains will melt
1: Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are blessed and honored that you've chosen to spend time with us today, and we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues our study from the Gospel of Matthew, entitled, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. So if you have your Bibles, please return with us to the Gospel of Matthew, Chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
2: And I prayed to the Lord my God and made my confession. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. He's including himself in there. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. Nehemiah does the same thing. No one's making excuses here. They're confessing sin. They're saying the same thing about, forgive us of our debts. We incurred them on our own. It's a sincere, heartfelt, and frank conversation with your father who is in, hev- in heaven, who is your heavenly father, who loves you, but is nonetheless your God and king, whose name, whose character you have to respect and honor. Nehemiah reveals the same kind of heart condition in Nehemiah 1, 6 through 9. We've looked at this before. Nehemiah prays, let your heart be attentive And your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. These are examples of repentant prayers for forgiveness, examples of people with changed hearts. These people aren't praying like hypocrites. You know, as children, we all heard parables maybe in Sunday school. And if you weren't in Sunday school, maybe you didn't. But one of the contrasts between a heartfelt prayer and an arrogant prayer is found in Luke 18, 9 through 14. It's a prayer without repentance, contrasted with a prayer of a man who is repenting. And it's the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray. One stood and looked at God, one looked down because he couldn't bear to cast his eyes heavenward. And we read this, Luke eighteen nine through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. Now listen to this prayer. It is a humdinger. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector over there, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now look at verse 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. Repentance and forgiveness. You can't be forgiven if you won't repent. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others like us, our debtors, who've sinned against us. Which brings us to concept number two. The linkage, right? Repentance and forgiveness. There is a linkage between repentance and forgiveness. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, as also as we also have forgiven our debtors. There's this context we don't want to forget. There's a whole discourse here. And before that, model prayer is a prologue that says, Don't be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the Gentiles who just pray mindless prayers. You cannot help but notice in verse 12 when it says, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, that your forgiveness from God is somehow tied to your forgiveness of other people. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus is making a point here that is not to be missed. There is a linkage between the reality and sincerity of your repentance and your unwillingness to forgive others. Am I making too much of this? Is that really implied in the text? Well, let's look at the context. You know, there's a principle where you let scripture interpret scripture. Analogia scriptura is what the theologians call it. It's taking a very clear text and helping it and letting it shed light on maybe a less clear text. I think Matthew six twelve is sufficiently clear But let's look at Matthew 6, 14, and 15, which comes shortly thereafter. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. A changed heart indicates a changed relationship to God and others. If your vertical relationship is right with God, it will be right horizontally with other people. But if it's not right horizontally with other people, then you probably have problems with God. And God expects you and I haven't been forgiven much to forgive others. That's God's expectation. That's what Jesus is teaching here. We talked about this before, the difference between outward religion and inward change. We can recite all the liturgies we want. We can perform all the rituals that we can muster. But God doesn't look just at the outer man. He looks at the heart. He looks at where we are in relationship to him and other people. He looks at whether we have hearts of flesh or hearts of stone. Whether we are hard-hearted and have the blood of others on our hands, so to speak. Which brings us back to a passage I shared with you before in Isaiah 1 15 through 17, when an apostate Judah was praying to God, going through the motions of right religion, of right relationship with Him, but really, really was living in a way wholly inconsistent with any belief in Yahweh. In Isaiah 1 15, through 17, we read this. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And look what comes after this. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil deeds from among you, from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. plead the widow's cause. What you have pictured here is a dead prayer, an unforgiven prayer, and then a call to repentance. Wash yourselves. Remove the evil from your deeds. Cease to do evil. He's saying turn away from your pagan idolatrous practices. Stop going through the motions of saying that you love me and demonstrate that you have a changed heart. Which will permeate your existence, because you've come to me for forgiveness, but and without blood on your hands. Forgive us our debts, as we also are forgiven our debtors. Don't pray if you won't repent. If you won't repent and relent, you won't be forgiven. Forgive us our trespasses, as we've forgiven others. We've been forgiven; we forgive. How can we do less? That really brings us to a third concept here. Looking at the teaching of Jesus about prayer and the heart that impels or drives or accompanies our prayer and the thinking that goes with that. Concept number three, what is it? The forgiven heart is the forgiving heart. A forgiven heart must be a forgiving heart. If this didn't come through with concept number two, I hope it will now. You look at Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The forgiven heart must be a forgiving heart if it's been broken and changed from the inside out. Otherwise, there's no heart for God at all. Forgive us our debts as we have also, in parentheses and invisible ink, already forgiven our debtors. God hates hypocrisy, and when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. When you pray, Pray then like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Not forgive us because we're better than others, because we deserve forgiveness, because it's not our fault. Even in our post-Christian era, I'm reminded that there's still enough of some of the Christian ethic floating around the culture, even in the midst of all the mob and the mobbing and the canceling and everything else, that people still intrinsically Since at some level, we should treat others the way we want to be treated. The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And to this end, Jesus challenges us. In Luke 6, 37 and 38, we see an example of this challenge. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Now, let me just stop right there. Nowhere did Jesus teach not to judge other people and particularly not here. Here in the context, it clarifies the same thing you'll read in Matthew 7. It's not talking about not evaluating the conduct of other people. We do that every day when we drive our car down the road or the freeway. We're always watching and evaluating and judging. We look both ways before we cross the street. Somebody knocks on our door at 10 o'clock at night. We look out through the peephole and evaluate whether we want to open that. Somebody... You know, an employer evaluates his employees, a teacher judges his or her students. It's not about what this, it's about condemnation. Self-righteous condemnation. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive, forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. How different are the prayers in contrast of the tax collector and the Pharisee? And make no mistake, we all need forgiveness. There's not one of you here. There's never been a person alive other than Jesus Christ who didn't deserve eternal punishment, who didn't need forgiveness. There's no one alive today who doesn't deserve that. No one can look down on somebody else. No one can afford to withhold forgiveness. You do so at your own peril. Let me give you an example of the unforgiving heart. Now, let me just clarify. We are not talking about sinless perfection. But we're talking about somebody, when somebody comes to you and asks forgiveness, you withhold it. You know, like the Pharisees, when they saw Jesus with the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the Pharisees were all about optics, not about changed hearts. And so all they could remember was their sinful past, not the heart condition that, the Pharise- that these tax collectors and-, and these prostitutes were showing. And you see this kind of here in the parable of the unforgiving servant. In Matthew 18, 23 to twenty thirty five, we read this. And I want you to drink this in. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, he brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. And before we started printing money, that would have been worth about $14 million. I don't know what it would be worth today. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Happy ending? But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. 100 denarii is 100 days wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Sound familiar? He refused and went out and put him into prison that he should pay the debt. Now, he had been forgiven $14 million. And this man owed him 100 days wages. And he could not forgive him. Verse 31. He would not forgive him. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went out and reported to their master all that had been taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in, and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all the debt so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart now think about this you and i nail christ to the cross we've been forgiven much as born-again christians who put our faith in christ and turned him somebody slights you in the workplace the classroom the street the neighborhood the household They come to you for forgiveness and you won't forgive them and you have no nail prints on your hands. There's a problem there. And that's where it gets back to and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Too often I fear we, me, I, am like the unfaithful servant, the ungrateful servant. Forgiven much but unwilling to forgive a little bit. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, I'm reminded people are like tubes of toothpaste. You squeeze them and what's inside comes out of them. And in all my experiences with tubes of toothpaste, I've never squeezed one and had ice cream come out. People are like bags of tea. You put them in hot water and what's inside comes out. And what we're seeing here in these passages is this if you're unwilling to forgive anybody, even the slightest transgression, you know nothing about repentance, you know nothing about salvation, you know nothing about God, and you know nothing about Christ. Those who have been forgiven should be forgiving. And that's why Jesus, in the model prayer, as he walks you through this progression, says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You see this theme throughout the whole Bible. In Ephesians 4.32, the apostle Paul writes this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. As God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. What's all this forgiveness and repentance stuff got to do with prayer? anything and everything in a word sincerity honesty credibility because if you're unwilling to forgive others you don't have much of a witness and when you go before god though you make many prayers you have their blood on your hands he will not listen i mean you see many outwardly religious people today who or say so many different types of prayers, recite liturgies. They can tell you about creeds. You see religious hypocrites inside good Bible teaching churches who worship the one true God, that church does, but they cut themselves slack when it comes to forgiving others. In their own way, when they pray, they're not praying to God, they're praying to themselves. Because God only hears the prayers of those who sincerely seek him and the hallmark of their prayers and hopefully my prayers and your prayers is a heart tenderly aware of its sin and shortcomings and sensitive to the others to receive to the needs of others to receive forgiveness just as you have been forgiven and forgive us our debts as also we have forgiven our debtors be kind tender hearted forgiving one another as god in christ has forgiven you and when you pray pray like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name Your kingdom come, your will be done, which is all wrapped up in verse 12. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need for life today. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Today, we focused on forgive us as we've been forgiven. And we've organized the message around three concepts, the necessity of repentance and prayer, the repentance and forgiveness, and, and forgiveness in terms of their linkage to one another and the forgiven heart as the forgiving heart. And the question is, what will you do with all this? Can you, will you organize your prayer life and your thought life around these concepts? Will you organize your entire life around this idea of forgive us, Our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, because it's a choice—a choice to sin or a choice to worship yourself or a choice to worship God. And if you can't do this, then you won't. And if you won't, then you can't. And why is that? A couple of reasons come to mind. Maybe you've lost connection with God, and you're in a season of of uh, repetitive sin. Sort of like temporary insanity where you keep making the same choices over and over again and expecting a different result. And if that goes on long enough, it makes me lean toward the second idea. You never never had a connection with God in the first place. Maybe you grew up in church. You grew up in a Christian home. You learned the lingo. You learned about that God, but you never knew that God. And which might which one might that be? Only you and God know. So when you pray, pray this way, with a right heart, to the right God, in the right way. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, O oh God, these broken, sin stained bodies, Lord to draw on the power that you give us daily by your Holy Spirit who gives us what we need for today today so that we can hallow and honor your name so that we can make your will our priority and not our will so that we can forgive others as we have been forgiven and so bring glory to you good to others and growth to ourselves as we live out our role in this unfolding drama of redemption as we occupy our space, our little corner of this piece of redemptive real estate called San Jose, California, as we cultivate a culture of prayer, a culture of repentance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby, on today's edition of Grace to Live, we are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is five four five Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California nine five one three six. The church office telephone line is area code four zero eight two six nine.